chapter 2 in our study of Job, the lessons of deceit and disappointment. We'll have eight chapters on his life as we look through the entire book, seeking those lessons that we need to know from this unique individual and this unique book in the Bible. Verse 15, chapter 6 says, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. Now, some of you perhaps need an explanation of what that means. What was Job seeing when he wrote this passage? It means simply that Job had been disappointed. The watercourses of Palestine and the adjacent regions are often foaming rivers in the winter months. The Jordan, for example, gets a mile wide at points in the winter months, but when it's hot, you can walk across in certain areas. It's so narrow and so shallow. So it is in that part of the world. In the hot summer, when water would be of priceless value, the dry bed is generally the road from one point to another for travelers. And this was the picture that Job saw as he looked at his friends. He hoped his friends would comfort him, but they were a total disappointment to him, like weary and thirsty travelers in a desert who come to the place where they had hoped to find water only to find dried up streams. Have you experienced anything like that in your life, the deceit and disappointment of this world? Job saw it as a brook dried up. How disappointing when you're thirsty and you need a drink. Disappointment is part of the price we pay for the privilege of belonging to the human race. Did you know that? We're all going to experience it one time or another in one form or another as long as we're here. Not too many of us can say with Paul, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Philippians 4, verse 11. There seems to me to be a great deal of discontent in the world today. It sort of runs through all of life at this present time. But Paul was able to say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, there I will be content. Job speaks of the streams being blackish by reason of the ice in verse 16. What he was saying in that verse was that there are times when everything looks black. Nothing looks right. Nothing looks wholesome. Nothing looks good. We think of all the things that might happen, and they are usually bad things. Job had the thought one time, the thing that I feared has come upon me. We think of the bad thing, and that's the thing that usually happens. We have difficulty seeing anything good in the circumstances of our lives. That was illustrated to me the other day when reading a writer who was reporting on the examination for life insurance of 100 people. This is the way he explained the results. Out of this number, Three would be tubercular, 10 would have bad hearts, 66 would have defective eyesight, and 85 would have trouble with their voices. 
Now, that sounds bad, doesn't it? It sounds really critical. But turn it around. Out of that same group, 97 would have sound lungs. 90 would have no trouble with their hearts, and 15 would have no speech difficulty whatsoever. Why is it that we always report the figures from the negative side? In our life, in the circumstances of our lives, we have a problem seeing good in that which is taking place around us. What can we learn from what happens to us? This is what the book of Job teaches us. God is trying to perfect us. If all he wanted was to keep us happy, then he would have made us like the animals. But he did not make us that way. The animals do not see the coming trouble. Or as far as I know, can they think back on their days of happiness? They're just anxious for this moment. That's it. They want their back scratch now. They want their biscuit now. And that's the way it is with the animals. If contentment were all that there is in life, then we might be like the white-faced steers I saw at a friend's house or ranch in eastern Washington some time ago. They were well-fed and sleek animals. They were never hungry and, as far as I could tell, seemingly never disappointed. But the end of their lives was to become beasts for someone's table. They were content, but they did not know that the owner was getting them ready for the market. If that's all that God was interested in for us in this life, we would be no different than those white-faced steers. But thank God there's more to it than that. So I come to you with a burdened heart, and I trust a quickened heart, to say this morning, don't be tricked by the deceits of this world. Don't be tricked by the disappointments that can come by the treatment of others round about you. What made Job a unique example in Scripture? It was his ability to handle what came his way, to see in that which was coming the hand of God. And it made him secure when really everything should have been falling apart in his life. Now, there are two things that I want you to write down on the back of that bulletin you have in your hand, two main points in our message today. And you need to focus on these two things. Number one, Job had purpose, and number two, Job could see life through to a good finish. Now, you could go to a counselor and sit for hours and not get what I'm going to give you in these next few minutes. You could spend a lot of money for self-improvement courses and not get what I'm going to give you in the next few minutes. If you will focus on these two things, you can rise from your seat in a few minutes and don't rise until then, please. You can rise from your seat in a few minutes healed and whole and ready to face your friends and the deceits of this world with the purpose of God firmly in view. 
The first thing about Job that I find in reading this unique book is he had purpose. A lot of people I'm meeting have never made up their mind where they want to go or what they want to be. There are too many people in our world today, and I'm afraid in church today, and watching us by television today, and listening by radio, who never have firmly decided in their mind where they want to go or who they want to be. And that is tragic. Chapter 7 of Job begins with two questions from this man. He said, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? When one seeks for happiness solely in the things of this life, he is deceived and he is disappointed. He has a wrong purpose, a wrong motive in his living. And Job asks these questions with that in mind. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? We're not here forever. What we're going through is not going to last forever. The pain we feel is going to pass away. The circumstance we're in is going to dissipate, and it's going to disappear. Is not our days upon earth as an hireling? We're not here forever. We have lost our purpose. Property will disappear. Don't get hung up in property. Those who aim at distinction in honor and distinction in office, it will all pass away. That's no purpose for your life. Many today seem to be restless. A new job every six months. A new town, a new part of the community, a new this or a new that. God is saying through Job, get a purpose in life. As I was pondering this this morning in my study and praying over this service, it seemed that there came into the room two words. It was almost like I could see them on a screen. And I certainly heard them in my ear inside. The two words God wanted me to share with you today are these words, settle down, settle down. We are on the move constantly, seeking a new thrill, seeking a new way, seeking this and seeking that. God is saying, settle down. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? It means that if you're to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're there at 8 o'clock in the morning, regularly faithful. That's what God is saying to the church today. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful when everybody else is moving hither and yon, seeking satisfaction, seeking a purpose, the person who has met with God has his purpose fixed and he's settled in that purpose. Hallelujah. Paul Bredesen, who was a pastor in Chicago years ago in our movement, had a little son by the name of Stevie who was six years old. And like a good father, he was teaching his son the memory verse for Sunday school. And the memory verse for that Sunday was, 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, on their way to Sunday school that morning, Pastor Bredesen thought he had better review this with his son to make sure everything was okay. So he said, Stevie, give me the memory verse for today. And little six-year-old Stevie said, Well done, thou good unfaithful servant. And you know, it kind of sounds that way when you run it together. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He heard it, thou good unfaithful servant. I'm afraid at times that's the way we interpret it. Voltaire, the atheist, wittingly observed some of his fellow countrymen and said this of them, they're always like an oven that was heating but never cooking anything. I think that's profound. I wonder if that's not like a lot of us, like an oven heating but never cooking anything. Now, Christopher Columbus was different than that. He wrote in his diary, This day we sailed westward, which is our course. Now, can you write that in your diary? This is what God's purpose for me is, and that's the way I'm going. That's the way it was with Job. He had a purpose. That's why he was not confounded. That's why he didn't fall in in a heap. That's why he didn't come unglued. Job had a purpose. A noble purpose in life should bring about a devotion to that purpose, a dedication and a concentration of our body, of our mind, of our spirit to the accomplishment of the objective that God puts within us. Paul knew the secret. Have you ever noticed how many times in his writings he uses the word always? For example, he said, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. He said, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He wrote, always exercising myself to have a conscience void of offense to God and man. He wrote, rejoicing always. He wrote, praying always. He wrote, giving thanks always. He wrote, always confident. He wrote, always having all sufficiency in all things, brother, sister. That is a man with a purpose who is able to say, always. I fear that if we were to sit down together, some would have to say sometimes, and maybe not too often, your living is determined not so much by what life brings to you as by the attitude you bring to life. Not so much by what happens to you as by the way your mind looks at what happens. Circumstances and situations do color life, but you have been given the mind to choose what the color shall be. And Job chose. Job made a decision. Job's purpose was to follow God. Though God slay me, I am going to trust him. That was his purpose. I suggest to you today that that has to be the purpose of every one of us here. If God is to get the glory from our lives, then we're going to keep on top of that which is happening all around us in our world today. Job would not be confounded by the deceit and the disappointment around him. Though his friends were like the deceptive brook which was dry, the bed was still there but no water in it when he was thirsty and needing refreshment, though he was deceived and disappointed, 
He was not overthrown because he had a purpose, and his purpose was to serve God and God alone and give him the glory from his life. Is that your purpose today? That's the only purpose that counts in God's sight. What are you living for? Now, number two, Job could see life through to a good finish. Oh, I love the song Jerry sang a few moments ago, I shall know him, I shall know him, as redeemed by his side I shall stand. Oh, what a blessing that is when people are criticizing you and things don't look so sharp out there around you to know that one day you're going to stand by his side and be redeemed forever. Job said in chapter 14, verse 7, there is hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Job saw beyond that which was happening to him and he said there is hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again. That tender branch will not cease. There's life there. And that's the way he looked at his experience, his circumstance, his surroundings. Though God slay me, I'm going to trust him. There it is again. He said in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom shall I see for myself? And mine eyes shall behold, and not another's. That was what kept him going. Many make a spectacular beginning. It's kind of like a ship at a launching with all the bunting and with all the flags flying. But at the first taste of success or a failure, could be either one. They begin to slow down, to turn aside, to falter, to stumble, to lose sight of what's out there. And they're lost to the cause of Christ. They have not been able to see life through to a good finish Jesus spoke of a man in Luke 14, 30 who was like that. He said he began to build and was not able to finish. Have you ever gone by a house that's been partially built? The lumber gets tainted by the wind and the rain and how sad it looks to see a skeleton of a building wasting away expensive lumber turning to nothingness, no one finishing the project. So it is with life if we don't keep the end in view. Job was able to see life through to a good finish. Yes, he was disappointed with his friends, and he was disappointed with the deceit of the world, but he experienced God in it all, and his revelation carried him through the trial. I don't know if Job knew the statement that we've heard in our time, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, but that's the way it was with him. That's the way he lived. Paul said, I have not been disobedient under the heavenly vision. He did not lose sight of his goal. Even when he was in a Roman prison, he could say, I have fought a good fight. Now, my dear friend, the pressures of this world are getting more intense all the time. There is a mountain up here to the north of us that keeps blowing its top. I wonder if God just isn't saying to us after months of dormancy, 
That's just the way it is with the end time. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And God lets that thing spew once in a while just to remind us that we cannot settle down and say everything's cool. We don't have to look at the signs anymore. We don't have to read the scriptures literally anymore. Paul really didn't mean it when he wrote to Timothy that in the end time, perilous times would come. We can forget about that now. The mountain is calm and there's no earthquake sign over in San Francisco. Don't be lulled to sleep, my friend. Look to the finish. And when you look that way, your life comes together and you're not shaken by every headline that comes along. Evangelist Bullard Candelon, whom I shared a camp meeting with this summer, and many of you have seen on television, told how his father was saved years ago. Mr. Candelon was the oldest of eight children, none of whom ever went to church except for weddings or funerals. But Mr. Candelon was in a hotel in Toronto, Canada one time when he picked up a Gideon Bible and his eyes fell on a verse of scripture which struck home to his heart. Has that ever happened to you? It's just like a knife or like a hammer. Well, that's the way it was with Elder Candelon. In that hotel room, he fell on his knees as he read that scripture and cried out to God, and Candelon was marvelously saved. Today, there are 14 Candelons in the gospel ministry. Fourteen. Because of that one Bible, a man finding his way. And I think I have met most of those 14 Candelons and talked with most of them in my time, and I don't know a one of them that doesn't have the concept that I'm sharing with you today. They are seeing life through to a finish. They have a goal. I saw Willard on television this week. And his words were of hope and of assurance. And he doesn't see the end time prophecies as being something that should discourage us, but that the Lord is going to take his church out in triumph and in victory. And I believe that too. That's what Job saw. God wants us to get this concept. Job had his eyes on the prize, not on his boils. He had his eyes on his blessings, not on his losses, not on the inconsistencies within the church. And I don't have time to talk about that today. How we look around and say, I don't agree with that, and I don't like that, and I don't appreciate that person, and look at that! And before long, we are worth nothing. And we drop out. Sad. Because we get our eyes on the boils rather than the blessings. We have to keep a view of the eternal, of that which lasts and lasts. There must be a death to self in this process. And that's what Job was able to do, to crucify his flesh. He let God's axe come down upon him 
and chop away and chop away and chop away and chop away and was willing to let God do that. Are you? Oh, our tendency is to hold our hands up and say, No, God, somebody else, let me keep this, God. But God is so loving, he says, No, because if you do, it will destroy you. You won't know the eternal bliss that I'm going to bring you into if you are allowed to keep that part of yourself. So we say, chop away, God, chop away. I am crucified with you so that I might live eternally. Alfred Tennyson in his poem, In Memoriam, speaks of working out the beast and letting the ape and tiger die within us. But Bishop Creighton, when reading Tennyson's poem, said, you may get rid of the ape and the tiger, but there still remains the donkey, which is a much more stubborn animal. And I thought, how true that is. There is some donkey in every one of us, and we want our way, and we want our will, but God's axe comes down on the head of the donkey too. And we have to be willing to say, chop away, God! Take that stubbornness out of me, that I may see the eternal prize. No wonder David cried in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And then he said, And lead me in the way everlasting. It's not just for today or tomorrow or next week. It's an everlasting way. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you had eternal life that moment. God isn't going to let you down. God isn't going to forsake you. No matter how much deceit and how much disappointment there is in life and by your friends and by your circumstances, it's a way everlasting, and he's leading us in that way. Glory to God. We must get a grasp on life so that we will have a grasp on death. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. A grasp on life gives a grasp on death. That's what Job experienced. That's what I love about this passage in chapter 6 and on into chapter 7. Deceitful as a brook, but he had a purpose in life. Though God slay me, I'm going to trust him. And he could see beyond this life, even as a tree that was cut down that would sprout again. And though he would be slain, he was able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. There is quite a study made on the difference between the words of those dying in Christ and those dying outside of Christ. Here are some dying words of those outside of Christ. Queen Elizabeth said, All my possessions for a moment of time. Hallie Ram said, I am suffering the pangs of the damned. Hobbes the atheist said, I am taking a fearful leap into the dark. Voltaire, the atheist, said, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh, Christ! Oh, Jesus Christ, he cried. Caesar Borgia said, when I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die, and I am unprovided to die. Sir Thomas Scott said, until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. No purpose. 
no view of the eternal. In contrast, Abbott said, Glory to God. I see heaven sweetly open before me. John Noy said, Blessed be the time that ever I was born for this day. John Noyes, the martyr, said to his fellow martyrs, We shall not lose our lives in this fire, but change them for a better, and for coals have pearls. Hallelujah! That's it, for coals have pearls. That's the view of Job. John Wesley said, The best of all, God is with us. Luther said, God is the Lord by whom we escape death. And Payson said, the battle's fought, the battle's fought, and the victory is won. The victory is won forever. I am going to bathe in an ocean of purity and benevolence and happiness to all eternity. And he went into that glorious realm. Glory to God. Where do you stand today? Do you have that purpose? And do you have that eternal view? If you lose that view, you're liable to lose the purpose. God is not through with us yet. He is going to bring us through into a triumphant, victorious time. He's God. He's faithful. And it's time for us to stand on our own two feet. You may say, my brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. But you can also say, God is perfecting me. We must have a purpose. That purpose keeps our eyes in focus. We don't get cross-eyed when we have the view of Job. We see the prize. We endure as seeing him who is invisible. We have that view of him who is invisible. In conclusion, I would direct your attention to the 22nd chapter of Job and verse 29. Job said something remarkable. When he was going through his trial and his circumstance, he said, when men are cast down, and he was certainly in that position, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up. Glory to God. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up. That's the view of the church. That's the view of the believer. Job 22, 29. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, oh, goodness me, I'm done for. Not on your life. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up. It's the Old Testament way of telling you there is resurrection power in a life with purpose. You're never down for the count of ten. You're never down and out. No matter how great the deceit and how great the disappointment of your friends and even your loved ones, when men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting Jesus Christ comes and he lifts and he strengthens and he puts something underneath you. And I want to repeat it again. Settle down, dear friends. Settle down. 
Someone came to me not long ago in this church and said to me, we feel God wants us to go here and do this. And immediately there came a cloud over my spirit and I said to them, I don't believe that's God. And I don't do that very often, but I just felt it. I said, I don't think that's God. I don't feel right about it. They've gone ahead anyway. We'll see what happens. I still feel that cloud. God is saying, settle down. It's not running here and running there and trying this and trying that. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God wants to work out his divine purpose in you. Settle down. Even if there's boils from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, settle down. And see the prize and say, God, whatever you're teaching me, I'm confident that they're lifting up. Let's stand together, please, all over the church. How many of you need the lifting up that Job talked about? Lift your hand high in the air for a minute. You've come to church in need of that kind of touch today. Hold it there just a minute. Lift it right up. Don't be ashamed. I need that lifting up in my spirit. Oh, yes, many hands. God bless you. And I want to pray for you today. I'm also concerned about those of you who have come to church without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Our great goal and desire here at Capital Christian Center is to introduce you to Jesus, to have you confess your sin and come out of the darkness that surrounds us into a place of light and hope in him. And that experience can be yours by a simple act of your faith. And I want you to come down these aisles as a confession that you're going to take Jesus as your Savior today. I'm going to turn my back on my sins. I'm going to take a hold of the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. I'm going to trust him with my life and with my future. I'm going to have a purpose from this day on. I know there are those of you in this service who need to make that decision, and I'm asking you to come. If you're in the balcony, there are stairways on either side that will bring you right down here and on this main floor, every aisle will lead you to the front. My associates will be here to greet you. We want a moment with you. I want to give you some material that will help you. And then I'm going to pray for you and all of the others who raised their hands. Can I say it again? God loves you. God loves you. He's not going to let you fall. He will lift you up if you'll just let him do it. Take your will. Give your will to Jesus. Come and receive him today from any part of this building as we sing.